Well, it sounds like things could be changing up north once again when it comes to the protests over that gas pipeline in the northern part of our province. Joining us now, Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun with more on this. Good morning, Vaughn. Me and yeah, the news is seeping back into a pandemic-laden province was my reaction. We'd almost forgotten about the standoff in the north over that gas pipeline. It was the biggest story in Canada before the pandemic back in when was that? 2020, yeah. uh, first few weeks of 2020, railroads blockaded, legislature was surrounded and it was under lockdown, international coverage. The issue was the construction of a natural gas pipeline through northern British Columbia and the Wet'suwet'en people, at some of their leaders, saying they hadn't consented to construction and they were blockading construction. Um the governments, federal and provincial, um, signed a deal with the hereditary chiefs and agreed to deal with their claims of Aboriginal rights and title or their uh, reconcile them. And it kind of went away. Now, it went away partly because governments were doing what they're very good at, which is talking, and partly, of course, because the pandemic took over everything. Um, press release this morning from the Wet'suwet'en, uh, fairly uh, provocative press release. Uh, they say the RCMP have been clearing the site. They say the company building the pipeline has been uh, drilling uh, or is going to get ready to drill in their land. And they say the company uh, destroyed an ancient village site. And because of that, they're putting up blockades again. And it looks like we're back into a showdown. Okay, so where is the government at with this? Well, we've heard, uh, it's interesting. Uh, you go back in the old collection of press releases we get from the government here. Earlier this month, the Minister of Indigenous uh, Relations and Reconciliation, Murray Rankin, met with the Wet'suwet'en leaders. And if you take the government side of the message, it was we're still talking and we're still reaching out and all that, but... Uh, the other, the fine print is they really didn't get very far. They've been talking off and on, and uh, it's taken them much longer than they thought because of the pandemic and blah, blah, blah. But basically, they haven't resolved this issue. As you know, if you uh, go back into the old memory cells, the standoff was not just between the company trying to build the pipeline and the First Nation, but it was within the First Nation. Some indigenous leaders within the Wet'suwet'en, mostly the elected ones, had agreed to the construction of the pipeline and in fact signed a benefit-sharing agreement. And some leaders within the First Nation uh, opposed it. And they were the ones, hereditary chiefs, who were leading the blockade. So uh, for all the time that's passed, and what, it'll be 18 months and counting, um, the issue was still there. The other thing, of course, that's interesting, and I went on the site this morning for the uh, company that's building the pipeline, so Coastal mm-hmm. Gasoline. And, you know, they've been reporting progress building this pipeline. This is the pipeline that will serve the big uh, LNG terminal in Kitimat. It's almost 700 kilometers long. Uh, it's 50% built, but you look at the fine print of the construction schedule. There's a 78-kilometer section in the middle of the pipeline where almost nothing has been done. And that section flanks the site of the original 
showdown. So almost no grading on that site, no pipe installed there. And when you look at that, you go, hey, um, that pipeline isn't going to be worth much if you've got a 78-kilometer gap in the middle of it. And that construction is still being held off there because of this standoff. It may be, and we only have the First Nations account of what's going on up there, it may be that they are starting to clear out the blockade with RCMP help because... Uh, they've got to get on with building that section. Right. Okay. So more to come on that one. We also this morning want to talk about the COVID-19 hospitalizations because what is going on with the numbers here that the government is putting out? Well, we've we've lifted the lid on the NDP government. John Horgan claimed that they're the most transparent and open jurisdiction in the known universe on COVID-19 data, because you had three embarrassing episodes that occurred recently. And, and on Friday, the, the health ministry puts out a statement conceding that they have been systematically underreporting uh, the number of COVID-19 cases in hospital. So here's the deal. They report active cases, and obviously they report people in the ICU. But once you've passed the period... Uh, for isolation, uh, which is to say you're infectious, they don't count you anymore. The problem with that is, specifically, Sammy, we know about the long haulers. There are people who are no longer infectious, but are in hospital sometimes for weeks. Some people um, are still in hospital, and it turns out the count is fairly high. What they admitted on Friday was they, they call it discontinued isolation, but it's still in hospital is what it means. On Friday, they admitted that they had 152 people still in hospital, discontinued isolation. And by comparison, you had 155 people still in the ICU. So it's a fairly significant underreporting. I noticed that our colleague, um, uh, Andre Picard of the Globe and Mail seized on this, and he mm-hmm. said this is one reason. He's trying to report on the problem nationally, right? He said one of the reasons it's very hard to report on this is because provinces do it differently. It's also difficult on those of us who go, well, you know, BC's doing better than most of Canada. Well, Manitoba reports the number of people still in hospital uh, with COVID-19 fallout, and we don't. So our numbers are completely skewed once you acknowledge that. So true. Also, what is going on with this Victoria outbreak situation among the homeless population? Yeah, so we've got three examples here, Simi, of the fact that this government does not play straight with us on the COVID-19 data. Last week, Capital News here in Victoria reported a, a significant outbreak in temporary housing in the capital region. Again, they came out and admitted, yeah, we do have a significant outbreak there. The only reason we know about this, staff within the region got fed up with the fact that they weren't reporting it and leaked it to the news media. We also have the case with the schools, right? So our colleague, Keith Baldry of Global TV, lives across the street from the James Douglas School in Victoria. Talking to parents there, he learned there was an outbreak in the school 
But I, and this was 10 days ago, but under the rules, they weren't reporting it. Because remember, yeah. they said, oh, we don't have to report this stuff anymore. And no wonder parents are outraged, right? They, they talk to Baldry. Baldry talks to the health ministry. And through all that, we finally get, well, we're going to change the way we're reporting. They still haven't done it yet, but they are going to start notifying parents about outbreaks. So, you know, it's um, it's hard enough to report this story, as, as you know, without having three examples in the last 10 days of the fact that the government is not playing straight with us on this issue, and we only know what's going on because... Reporters, our colleagues, are keeping at them on reporting this. This is uh, this is a significant problem with covering the pandemic here in British Columbia. Is the contradiction between the government's claim that it's open and transparent, and the clear evidence accumulating that it is not? So true. All right, Vaughn. Thank you. Bye, bye, Simon.